wallet where his money used to be. <laughs> Anyhow, I hope that you all have a, a, a good one. You might notice in your bulletin on the front cover that uh, we have the wrong month on there. We're about a month behind. We do have the correct memory verse for June, but it says May. So don't let that throw you. I know that some of y'all won't be able to concentrate now for the whole rest of the service. But I thought I might as well bring it out because that's what we do when we make an error, when we make a mistake or whatever. We just uh, acknowledge it and press on. We're very glad to have uh, Jim Myers with us today, his wife Phyllis, and Dick, his right-hand man. And we're going to be uh, blessed by him speaking to us today. Uh, Jim is the founder and president of the Jim Myers Ministry. He's also the pastor of the Word of God Church in Kiev, Ukraine, president of the Word of God College, Bible teacher and pastor for more than 40 years, and internationally known Bible conference speaker. Jim goes around planting churches. He's planted churches in Arkansas and New Mexico. He's planted churches in Russia, Eastern Europe, Central Asia, Africa, and South America. You get around, don't you, Jim? <laughs> Anyhow, um, you may also notice him on our prayer list under uh, a heading of missionaries and before we begin, we want to go through our usual customary procedure, that is to have a moment of silent prayer. And during that time, we have the option of naming privately to God the Father any unconfessed sins, which ensures the filling of the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for your faithfulness that you raise up men to go all over the world and teach your word. They also start churches. They teach theology, set up seminaries. They do all these things. We also pray that you will help raise up godly men, fathers, that stand firm for the truth, to know how to manage their family, and they will be God-centered, and they will not be disconcerted about all of the degeneracy and the way our society is going, but indeed that you will give them that spiritual strength that they need to be the men that they should be and can be. So we pray that you will help us to focus our full attention this morning as your word is taught. For we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Jim, if you'll come up, bless us with your word. God's word. God's word. Here I was thirsty and I didn't get any water. Just so you know, it came back. You have nothing. There you go. Well, good morning. What a joy to be here. And uh, you've expanded since last I was here. I'm just delighted that the Lord has prospered you so much. And uh, what a joy to come and be with this body of believers. Love the Word. And I love your music. Uh, in so many churches today, they have something uh, they call music, which I think is not. And uh, they, they tell you it's praise and worship. And... Uh, I have doubts about both of those terms being applied to what they uh, sing these days, but uh, I was just so blessed. Uh, we, we sang uh, a song about the rapture of the church this morning. A lot of churches don't teach that anymore. And uh, uh, singing Onward, Christian Soldiers, I've not heard that in a while. A lot of churches won't sing that anymore. It's too militant, uh, and, and we can't have that. We've got to be loving and, uh, and the idea of, 
Christian soldiers is just repugnant to so many people today. But we also see the effect of of these things in our churches where uh, so many churches today, they have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. And they get together and they have a good time. And uh, when you leave, you feel good. But it's... uh, not really going to help you face the issues of life nor understand the plan of God. Uh, We were in a mall uh, this past week and I saw an advertisement for a church in the mall. They had a big poster there and it said church, but it showed uh, a bunch of young people having some kind of a party and then a lot of other people that just, you know, happy smiling people and that's what church has become. It's a place where you go to feel good. And uh, their advertisement is saying, come and uh, you'll be happy. But uh, we find in so many places today that the Word of God is not being taught. And therefore, uh, people are not being stabilized. And so more people go to church, but we find more families disintegrating. Uh, We find more marriages breaking up. And we find so many churches where uh, there aren't any young people. And yet they put on the happy face, and you can go and feel good. But you see, apart from the Word of God, we have nothing that is lasting, nothing that's going to produce true stability, and nothing that will have uh, impact in our lives and in our family. So I'm just delighted to come here. Uh, I know your pastor loves the Word. He teaches the Word. And this has got to be a blessing for you. And it will impact you in more ways than um, you will ever, uh, I think, fully realize in this life. But uh, I want to uh, thank you for your prayers for us. I uh, appreciate it. We come to a church and you have missionaries and you pray for people who are doing things uh, away from home. And I want to thank you for your encouragement and your Uh, support for us. It means so much to us um, as we go and uh, minister in in other places. And we have been privileged to serve the Lord in other places. We have completed 19 years in the former Soviet Union. We went there in 1993, a little over a year after the Soviet Union broke up. We went to a small country called Belarus, Uh, We were there for three years until the government forced us out. They still have an old-line communist dictator who runs the country, uh, and he's been there in power since 1994, and uh, he's not going to give that up. He's a strong-arm dictator, and the people there suffer greatly. Uh, And the (coughs) uh, true believers there are under oppression. They have a difficult time functioning. Uh, because the government there is uh, in lockstep with the Russian Orthodox Church, uh, which is a very powerful political religious organization. Well, we were forced to leave Belarus after three years. The church that we planted there is still there. It's strong. It's doing evangelism uh, and teaching the Word of God. And so we are just so delighted that God continues to work among those people that we ministered to so many years ago. When we had to leave Belarus, we just went south uh, a short distance to the country of Ukraine. Ukraine is the largest country entirely within Europe. It's about the size of the state of Texas, uh, and that's the largest country in Europe. So uh, we have been there since 1996, and during that time we have seen many, many changes. Um, the culture has changed, society has changed a great deal because uh, of the influx of people from the West and uh, because of the fact that there is now an emerging middle class, uh, whereas before everyone uh, under the communist system had uh, low-paying jobs. But now with Western... uh, Countries, uh, companies coming in and establishing businesses, more people are able to get uh, decent paying jobs, and so we see an emerging middle class. And so 
Uh, what we see now is uh, rush hour from about 7.30 in the morning until 7.30 at night, whereas before it wasn't that way because they didn't have very many automobiles. When we first went over there, one family in 20 had an automobile. Stop and think about that. One family in 20. And uh, the roads were not designed for so much traffic. And now a lot of people have automobiles, and uh, it's virtually impossible to go from point A to point B in the city during the day. It's much easier to get on public transportation uh, than it is to drive. Uh, of course, we have also seen uh, tremendous inflation uh, with the influx of foreign money coming in there, and it has gotten uh, rather expensive. Now, Ukraine has the cheapest gasoline in all of Europe, the cheapest. And I like to come to America where you have even cheaper gasoline. Uh, your gas here is so inexpensive, it's unbelievable. Uh, our gasoline in uh, Ukraine right now is around $6 a gallon. Okay. In many countries, you want to go to Germany, go to France, you're going to pay $8. Up in some of the Scandinavian countries, $10 a gallon. So uh, I, I know it hurts when you have to go fill up your, your gas tank, uh, but uh, it could be worse. But... Uh, so we have been in Ukraine since 1996. I have taught in many Bible schools, Bible colleges, seminaries around the country. And uh, about 12 years ago, we established uh, our own Bible college. We have a two-year intensive curriculum. Uh, we teach two years of Greek and Hebrew, all the divisions of systematic theology. We survey every book of the Bible, plus... Uh, we also have exegetical studies uh, in several of the books. We teach uh, hermeneutics and uh, other topics as well. So it's a two-year intensive program. And our, uh, our intention is to train pastors, teachers, evangelists, and missionaries. And if people come and we always ask, why do you want to be a student with us? If they say we want to know the Bible better, we don't accept them. Uh, we've got uh, Bible teaching five times a week at our church, and if you want to know the Bible better, you can come to Bible class. We want people that want to train for ministry, and they have to convince us that's where they want to go when they finish studying with us. They want to do some kind of ministry. We have uh, had our graduates go out and go to work in already established churches, or in a number of cases, they have planted churches of their own. They have started other ministries. And we are delighted also that we even have some graduates who are now missionaries in foreign countries. Uh, we have one couple that uh, went to Turkey uh, three or four years ago. Uh, he went and did evangelism. He started a small church in his apartment with the ones that he had brought to faith in Christ. And we even had a student come to our Bible college from Turkey, uh, one of the converts from his ministry there. So we are just so excited to, to see this. That's the fruit of the labor. And <clears throat> we also have been privileged to take the Word of God to other places. We get invitations to come and to teach Bible conferences. And uh, we go as we are able and uh, when we're asked. But for many years now, I have been going to Zambia, which is in the southern hemisphere, uh, down close to South Africa. People there, there are millions and millions of Christians in Zambia. It is the only nation in the world whose constitution declares it to be a Christian nation. Now, it's not a nation of Christians. We understand that. But there are millions of saved people there, uh, but they have not been taught the Word of God for the most part. They, they know Jesus, they love the Lord, they love His Word, but they've never been taught. And they are very open to Bible teaching, they are very hungry to hear the Word of God. And we go and uh, do conferences there every year, and I will teach four or five hours a day. <clears throat> and if, if the body could stand it, they would 
like me to teach more, but uh, that's about all I can handle in a day. Uh, but we'll go and teach for two, <coughs> two weeks. Hundreds and hundreds of people will come, and they will sit there all day long and listen to the Word of God. Uh, I've also gone out into the bush to some country Bible churches there. Now, uh, that's where they have uh, a grass roof uh, to keep the sun off, no air conditioning, and you can go out there and sweat off several pounds in church. So <laughs> what are you doing Sunday morning? Well, I'm going to go lose a few pounds. You know, it's a, uh, like sitting in a sauna. Uh, but I went to this one, this one church, and uh, their, their chairs, uh, well, they're kind of logs about this big around, and, and they, they sit on those things. And they sat there for two hours while I taught, and after two hours I said, well, I think that's about enough for today. And they said, is that all you know? <laughs> <coughs> so uh, we took a short break, and I came back and taught for another hour, and they sat there, and they just loved it. It was like hunger for the Word of God. And what is also humbling is that many of these people will walk at least two hours to go to church on Sunday. Two hours they walk on dusty roads um, just so they, they can go to worship. And uh, many of these people are, are literally dirt poor. They have nothing. But they love the Lord and they don't complain they, they just praise God for all of His grace and provision, and uh, they, they they want to please God. And so it's really a privilege to go and to uh, work among these people once in a year. I've also been privileged to go to Brazil for many years now to, to do Bible conferences there. This past uh, February I went, did four conferences, and uh, they want me to come for two more weeks next year. And so if I can put that into the schedule, we'll go down there for uh, some more Bible teaching. It is our privilege to teach the Word of God. There's no greater joy that I have than to open the Word of God and to teach people who want to know. And I believe that uh, this is what the world desperately needs. It's what America desperately needs, and yet we are turning away from the Word of God. And fewer and fewer people know the Word of God. <coughs> I don't know if I'd mentioned this to you, Mike, but I, I was asked to teach a class of church leaders, and there were 30-some church leaders. Now, we're talking about pastors, associate pastors, uh, and other church leaders who had come for this conference. It was an all-day conference on a Saturday. I'd been asked to teach, and I said, okay, I'd like to start just by taking a short survey, and I asked them five questions. Question number one, list in order the books of the New Testament. Uh, the second question, who wrote the four Gospels? Third question, what is the theme of the book of Romans? Fourth question, tell me anything from the book of Ephesians. And question number five, estimate how much of the Bible you have read in the past year. Just give me an estimate, a percentage of how much you've read in the past year. <clears throat> now, out of... I don't know what, there were 35 men uh, who came to this course. All church leaders. Out of 35 men, only one was able to correctly list the 27 books of the New Testament in order. I was astounded. Uh, second question, they all were able to name the writers of the four Gospels, but they didn't all get them in order, so... I We'll let that go. Uh, question number three, what's the theme of the book of Romans? A few of them knew. A few of them said justification by faith. Uh, about Ephesians, uh, there were many, many blank places for this. Many of them didn't know. Some of them said, oh, that's the book about spiritual warfare or the uh, armor, the Christian armor. Uh, question number five, what percentage of the Bible have you read in the past year? Uh, I had uh, some people who were very honest. I think one guy put down around 2%. Uh, 
Uh, that was probably an honest answer. Some were uh, more specific, like 47.2. Uh, <laughs> Rough estimate there. <laughs> but one person had put down 100% two times, but had missed three of the above questions, so I'm not sure <laughs> what, what they were reading. Now, we need to be in the Word, and we need to be in the Word every day. And I, I'm just... Delighted. I look at your bulletin. You've got memory verses on the front. Oh, I want to encourage you to memorize Scripture. Uh, I encourage people to do this all the time. I do it. Uh, I think it's important. And so I'm just delighted to see that uh, uh, you have a reminder week by week that you need to be hiding God's Word in your heart. It provides for you stability. It provides for you wisdom and guidance. Uh, and so many benefits come from uh, learning the Word of God. I think that we need to be in the Word of God. I want to encourage you to, to do that. Um, and so I, I asked sometimes that people will do a little bit of Bible arithmetic. Uh, you know, I ask people, how much of the Bible do you read? And they say, well, I really don't have much time. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, I, I think I tell my people that you ought to be reading the Bible through at least once in a year. A minimum of one time in a year. And, oh, wow, that's, that's too much. Well, is it really? Uh, it's not really. If you want to do a little, uh, a little bit of math, you want to write a couple numbers down, uh, in your Bible you have 1,189 chapters. Now, if you divide that by 365, which is the number of days in a year, uh, you'll come out with a little over three chapters. If you read three chapters a day, in a year you're going to read your Bible all the way through. Three chapters, that's all. Could you do that? I think you could. Maybe a couple chapters in the morning, one in the evening. Read a couple in the Old Testament, one in the New Testament. You read three chapters a day, you'll go through your Bible in a year. Some people say, well, <coughs> I still don't have time. Well, let's, uh, let's think about time. There are a lot of audio Bibles available today. You go to the bookstore, you can buy audio Bibles. And I have a couple of different audio Bibles. I love to listen to them. And I uh, did a survey in a Bible bookstore where I looked at five or six of the audio Bibles available today. And I averaged out the time. How long do you think it takes to read a Bible out loud slowly and distinctly, starting in Genesis 1, going through Revelation chapter 22. How long would it take you, even if you read slowly? How long would it take you? Well, it takes about 72 hours to read from cover to cover. 72 hours. You know, well, that's a lot of hours. Well, let's divide that by 365. <laughs> I'm telling you, you will spend more time watching commercials on television today than you will spend reading your Bible. You'll spend more time in an hour if you watch broadcast television just watching commercials. How long does it take to read your Bible through if it takes you 72 hours? About 12 minutes a day. 12 minutes a day. Do you have time? What are your priorities? Well, that's between you and the Lord, but I, I think back to... When I was young, a young man, I went to a church where people knew the Word of God. I mean, people in the pew, they could say, oh yeah, that's over in Ezekiel chapter 38, or oh yeah, I know that, that's Philippians chapter 2. And they knew their way around the Bible. And today, we don't find so many people that can do that anymore. Does it make a difference? Well, I ask you this, does it make a difference? Look at our country. Okay? Look at our country. Have we changed in the last 50 years for the better? Probably not. Okay. And I think this is directly related to our knowing and applying the Word of God. I think it has a direct bearing um, on the lives we live, the direction of our country. 
And I believe that if we as Christians want to see something change in this nation, we have to start, and we have to start at home. We have to start with a daily time with the Lord where we're going to look into His Word, we're going to meditate on His Word day and night. It says in Joshua 1.8, you meditate on the Word day and night, then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. But people want to have the prosperity and the success without the Word of God, and we are paying a tremendous price for that. So I just want to encourage you. You get into the Word. Well, I think that we need to open the Word of God this morning. Um, and so if you will turn with me to <coughs> a road less traveled in most Bibles, uh, try to find in your Bible the book of Haggai. Uh, you, might, you might run past it since it's the second shortest book in the Old Testament. It's only two chapters. But uh, if you've forgotten where it is, it's the third from the last book in your Old Testament. I love teaching from the Old Testament. I think one reason why is it is unfamiliar to so many people. And yet I think there are tremendous lessons for us even in the church age. Now, <clears throat> in the history of Israel, Saul became the first king of Israel in the year 1051. He reigned for 40 years. David became king. In the year 1011, he reigned for 40 years. He died. His son Solomon became king in 971. He reigned for 40 years. Solomon died, and the kingdom divided. It divided north and south in the year 931 B.C., in the north you have Israel, in the south you have Judah. Northern kingdom was destroyed by the Assyrians in 722 B.C. The southern kingdom lasted a little longer until 586 B.C. when Nebuchadnezzar invaded Jerusalem for the third time. He destroyed the city and the temple, and he took almost all of the Jews in the land captive to Babylon. But then the Babylonians were overthrown by the Medo-Persian Empire. And in the year 538 B.C., Darius I, the king of Persia, allowed the Jews to go back to the land. He allowed them to go back to rebuild their temple. Now there are six books that are written after the Babylonian captivity were written. This will help you when you start to read your Old Testament. Six post-exilic books they are called. They are Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. Ezra, about the rebuilding of the temple. Nehemiah, the rebuilding of the walls. Esther, God's providential care for His people living outside the land. And then the last three books of your Old Testament, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, are all written after the Babylonian captivity. So Haggai now is the first of the prophets, first of the writing prophets after the Babylonian captivity. Now, what has happened is that people came back to the land in 538. There was a group of approximately 5,000 people who came back under the leadership of a man named Zerubbabel. And they came back to the land, and they began uh, to establish again their worship. So the first thing they did was to build an altar where they could resume their animal sacrifices as prescribed under the Mosaic Law. So they started the uh, worship service again, and then they uh, started to lay the foundation for the temple. And what happened was the Samaritans and other surrounding people that were in the land 
they began to oppose the rebuilding of the temple. They didn't want the Jews back in the land. They didn't want them to reestablish their worship system. And so they began to put some pressure upon these people, and the people quit. Oh, too much pressure. It's not worth it. Let's not get these people stirred up. We don't want them to uh, be angry with us after all. And so they quit. They just stopped. And they did nothing for 16 years except they got very comfortable. They went and built their own houses and their own vineyards and their own gardens. And they got very comfortable. And they quit work. And so they, now they have no established worship system. They have not rebuilt the temple. And so Haggai is the first prophet to come along and to get these people stirred up. Ezra will come along and he will really get these people moving to rebuild the temple. And then quite a number of years later, Nehemiah will come along and they will complete rebuilding the city and the walls. But in the book of Haggai, now this, this is a very short book. It's only two chapters, fewer than 40 verses in this short book. But in 38 verses, 25 times, Haggai says, this is the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord. The word of the Lord came. The word uh, uh, of the Lord is emphasized. And so we see this in verse 1. In the second year of King Darius, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. And he's going to say this over and over again. This is God's word. This is God's word. This is not man's idea. This is the word of God. Verse 2, thus speaks the Lord of hosts. Verse 3, the word of the Lord came by Haggai. Over and over again we see the emphasis here. Um, now Haggai... Uh, this short book has four messages, four short sermons given by Haggai to uh, the people there. And in these four messages, uh, we are going to see that there are problems. And we are going to see four perils for people who are facing adversity Four, pe four perils for people who have gotten their eyes on the wrong things. The first peril, misplaced priority. They have priorities, but their priorities are wrong. Second, incorrect perspective. Thirdly, unrealistic expectations. And fourth, unnecessary fear. Now, Haggai's purpose is really to get these people back to rebuilding the temple so they can once again worship the Lord according to the Lord's dictates as laid down in the Mosaic Covenant. And this is a, an interesting book to compare to other Old Testament prophets because... Uh, he doesn't have any diatribe against idolatry. He doesn't say anything about adultery. He's not talking about mixing in with the religions of other people. He's not going to talk about social ills and other problems. But he is going to talk about motivation. He's going to talk about attitude. He's going to talk about the things that are behind what you do and why do you do it. And he's going to say, there are four areas that you really need to examine your own attitude, your own viewpoint. Because the Lord keeps on saying, consider your ways. Consider your ways. That's Think about what you're doing. What are you doing? Why are you doing it? So first of all, the misplaced priority. We prioritize our lives and oftentimes we put our own desires against the desires of God. So in verse 2, Haggai chapter 1, 
Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, This people says, The time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Oh, it's not time. It's not the right time. It's not a convenient time. Well, after all, we have opposition. We don't want to stir up people. We don't want people to be upset with us. The time has not come. Verse 3, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this house to lie in ruins? What are they doing? Well, they built their own houses. And they are very nice houses. They are paneled houses. They've gone up and they've cut the uh, best of the cedar trees and they've made this very beautiful paneling. And so they're not just living in a rough mud house. Or a stone house. Oh, no, it's paneled. Very nice house. <clears throat> so in verse 5, Now therefore, says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Stop and think about what you're doing. You have these nice houses, but the house of the Lord is in ruins. And so the people didn't think it was the right time to proceed. Uh, they were too busy with other things. They had forgotten God's command to rebuild the temple. And material prosperity and comfort became a top priority. And God says, you need to stop and think about this. So some 16, 17 years had passed since the uh, return to the land. And they haven't done anything on the temple so he says, consider your ways. Stop and think about this. Verse 6, you have sown much. You bring in little. You eat, but you don't have enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages earns wages to put into a bag with holes. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> what are you doing? Well, you're out there scratching to make a, a living, you out there work, 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 and you're putting your money in a bag, but there's a hole in the bottom of the bag, and you say, I understand that. And sometimes it runs out the bottom faster than I can put it in the top, and you understand that. What is God saying here? You've got the wrong priorities. and think you get the right priorities, you might have a smaller hole in the bottom of the bag. God is saying you're spending your money, but it's not enough. It's never enough. And you're trying to save money. You want to put money in the bank? <laughs> get a big interest today of, I don't know, half a percent, three quarters of a percent? And you have inflation of 10 percent, 15 percent? So you put $100 in the bank today, and in one year it's worth $85. Well, you've got a hole in the bottom of the bag. What are you going to do about it? Make more money? doesn't work that way. It's still going to run out the bottom. We've got to have the right priorities. In verse 9, he says, You looked for much? But indeed it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Who blew it away? The Lord did. Why, says the Lord of hosts, because of my house that is in ruins, why every one of you runs to his own house. Therefore the heavens above you withhold the dew, and the earth withholds its fruit. For I called for a drought on the land and the mountains, on the grain and new wine and the oil, on whatever the ground brings forth, on men and livestock, on all the holy, on all the labor of your hands. What do you need to do? Well, you need to go back to what God has instructed you to do. How has God told you to live? See, in verse 7, Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Again, he says, consider your ways. You need to think about how you're living. So he says, go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple that I may take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. 
We have to focus on doing those things that are going to please the Lord, the things that will glorify the Lord. That has got to be the priority. And if your priority is somewhere else, if your priority is to be comfortable, if your priority is your own prosperity, you've got a hole in your bag. We have to focus on what God tells us to do. And notice he says you're going to have to go up um, to the mountains and bring wood. Why do they have to go up to the mountains to get wood? Because they spent it all on their own houses. What God had given for his own house has now been spent on personal comfort and ease. So they have wrong priorities. And the Lord says, consider your ways. We need to focus on glorifying and pleasing God. All right, the second problem is incorrect perspective. When the workers did get back to rebuilding the temple, okay, they said, okay, Haggai, we're going to start again. They listened to Ezra. They started rebuilding the temple. But then there were people who had seen the original temple of Solomon, which was... Uh, undoubtedly one of the most magnificent things man has ever built in all of history. But that's gone. And now they are building a new temple, but it's much smaller than that which Solomon had built, and it's not going to be glorious. It's not going to be uh, so wealthy uh, a structure as that which Solomon had constructed. And so people begin to weep. They look at, oh, it's so small. Oh, it's not so beautiful. And so... They're saying it's nothing in comparison to what the other was. In chapter 2, verse 3, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? And how do you see it now? In comparison with it, is this not in your eyes as nothing? So people are becoming discouraged because of this. They were now looking at this smaller structure and say, oh, it's not worth it. It's small. By comparison, this is nothing. This is not really worth doing. But why was the first temple destroyed? Because of their disobedience. Are they going to continue to disobey? What do they think God will do if they don't obey? God is saying, rebuild. The temple, put up a new temple where you can fulfill the worship system that I have given to you, where I will be pleased, where I will be glorified. But they are not doing this, looking at the wrong things. The third problem is unrealistic expectations. Now, people start to think that because I have done something for God, because I went to church, because I did some work at church, God, therefore, is required to bless me. God, I did this, bless me. And so people began to look at their external obedience to God. Hey, we started work on this temple. We started laying bricks and blocks. Therefore, God should bless us. Uh, if we go down to... Verse 11, we have some interesting questions. Verse 11, thus says the Lord of hosts, Now ask the priests concerning the law. Okay, go ask the priests about the law, and we're going to have, uh, have to do some interpretation here. Verse 12, if one carries holy meat in the fold of his garment... And with the edge, he touches bread or stew, wine or oil, or any food. Will it become holy? Okay, you have some holy meat. I mean, this has been sanctified. And now the priest has this, and he's carrying it. And if you touch something else with this meat that has been sanctified, will the other thing become holy? Answer, no, of course not. And then... In verse 13, if one who is unclean because of a dead body touches any of these things, will it become unclean? And the priest answered, yes, it shall become unclean. Ooh. 
what, what is he talking about here? If we do good things, is God going to excuse sins and failures? And the answer is no. So you did something, and you expect God to bless you, but you have to understand holy men are better than holy methods. Okay? It's better that you have personal holiness than you just get busy and say, okay, I've done this for the Lord. But without personal holiness, it means nothing. What we need to do is to have personal holiness before God, and we need to exalt the Lord and not have unrealistic expectations. And we need to serve the Lord no matter what He does for us. But there are some people who say, well, you know, I went and worked on the church, but God didn't pay my bills. I mean, you might not say in those words, but you have that attitude. Okay, God, I did this. Bless me. I put money in the offering plate. Bless me. I sang. I did something. Bless me. Then work that way. See, we need to bow before the Lord to worship Him in the beauty of holiness, even if He never gives us anything in this life. He has given us eternal life. He's taken away the penalty for our sins by faith in His uh, Son, Jesus Christ. And even if He never gives us any material blessing in this life, we still need to exalt Him and to praise Him, to glorify Him, and to serve Him. And then the fourth problem, unnecessary fear. The people, again, they look around at the nations and they say, boy, we are, we are a small community and we don't have any walls around our city and, and we are very vulnerable and we are weak and, uh, boy, we're afraid of all of these nations around us and so we better not do anything. Instead of saying, here's what God wants me to do. I need to do what God wants me to do. And we ought to have this attitude, I am immortal while I'm doing the will of God. You want to do the will of God, they can't kill you. God's going to protect you. And then when God's plan is done, then you're done. But that's up to God. And I have to focus on doing the will of God, not try to... Say, well, what's going to be the safe thing to do? We need to take a stand. And we Christians, we're under attack today. And the government's going to come and they're going to say, now you can't, you can't mention homosexuals. That's hate speech. I mean, you want to read Romans chapter 1 from the Word of God? And some people say, you can't read that anymore. That might offend some people. Well, we need to stand up and say, thus says the Lord. It's there. And we can't be afraid. These people became afraid. They want to say, well, we, we don't want to work on this anymore. People are going to get upset. But we need to look at the strength of God rather than the strength of the enemy. So in Haggai chapter 2, in verse 20, again the word of the Lord came to Haggai. It's the word of the Lord. Verse 21, speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I will shake heaven and earth. I will overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I will destroy the strength of Gentile nations. I will overthrow the chariots and those who ride in them. The horse and their riders shall come down, every one by the sword of his brother. Other people, they can do what they want, but the people of God, we need to be willing to, to trust the Lord, and He will take care of the enemy. He will take care of the problem. But often people are uh, afraid to do the work of God or to stand on the Word of God, to take a stand for what is right and for what is truth. And we must not do that. But Christians in America today have lost their impact. Christianity today is not impacting the culture and we need to do something. But it starts with you. It starts in the individual heart saying, I'm going to have a personal relationship with the Lord. I'm going to get into the Word of God every day. 
I am going to look to God for my strength and my guidance and my wisdom, and it's going to start with taking in the Word of God day by day by day by day, memorizing those promises so that you have stability, so that you have guidance day by day, and we need to get on our knees before the Lord and spend time in prayer. Are we really doing this, or are we just saying this is what we need to do? It's got to start with you. It's got to start with your own attitude toward God. Is your attitude truly to glorify God with your life? God says, I'll take care of the enemy. I'll take care of the enemy. You glorify me. You trust me. And then we need to spread this word. But I believe that as we take in the word of God, as we live godly lives, and as we are truly seeking to exalt our Lord, God will take care of the rest. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I am so grateful that you have a plan for us, plans for welfare, not for calamity, to give us a future and a hope. Things look grim in the United States. Things look grim all over the world. Because people have turned their back on you and on your word. And Father, we confess that even your children often have neglected the word. We have focused on the wrong things. We have wrong priorities, more concerned about our own creature comforts than we are about propagating the truth of your word. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit will speak to us today through your word. And Father, may we see a revival. May it begin right here at Country Bible Church. May it begin in the hearts of this people. And they'll say it's time to do the work of God. It's time that we make those changes so we can be pleasing to you. Oh, Father, I do pray that you'll speak to us through your word, that we might grow up uh, in our sanctification, in our desire to uh, please you. I pray for this church, Father. May it have a great impact in this community. I pray that you will bless the pastor as he studies as he opens the word. You will give him boldness and clarity as he teaches. And may these people receive your word and may it bear much fruit that uh, you're going to be glorified uh, in and through this church. So I thank you for this time we've had together today in these things. I pray in Jesus' name.